You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it is Katie from Queen's Podcast. So today we are rerunning an episode from Patreon, from Katie's Corner, where I go into the life of Alexander III of Russia. That is the husband of Dagmar of Denmark. And, you know, in our episode for Dagmar, we're not going to go that deep into her husband's politics, but it is kind of important. So I thought rerunning this episode might kind of help you put that in perspective. So I hope you enjoy. And as always, when listening to Queen's Podcast, there is going to be cursing in this episode. We're Queen's Podcast. We're gonna say the F word. So I hope you enjoy. Cheers, bitches. Hello, my beautiful queens, and welcome back to another beautiful week here in my corner. Today, we're going to talk about Alexander III, the second to last czar of Russia. This actually kind of started out as a this fucking guy, because I was first introduced more to his like political views and everything more. But then the more I got to know this fucking guy, I was like, well, it's not that simple, is it? Some people are have like this duality to their personality. I guess most people do. So I left feeling very conflicted with Alexander III, and I thought we'd go on that journey together. He is just the picture of a historical figure who is complex and hard to pin down. Like, I really like him as a person, but I think I hate him as a policymaker. And I think he did a lot to lead his son and grandchildren to getting straight up murdered. Obviously, that wasn't his intent, but he put a lot of policies in place that pissed off a lot of, you know, like the non-royals. And I can't tell that he did a whole lot to set up his son, Tsar Nicholas II, you know, the one that got murdered. I can't tell that he did a lot to set his son up for success. But on on the other hand, he knew his son was soft and not predisposed to rule with an iron fist. And he just kind of let his son be himself instead of forcing him into like really strict regiment that went against his nature. So you see what I'm getting at? Just kind of a complicated figure. So let's start at the beginning. The future Alexander III was born on March 10th, 1845. Alexander III's dad was Alexander II of Russia, and his mom was Marie Alexandrinova, a German princess. So baby Alex was never meant to be emperor, 
So he wasn't really educated like the future emperor, which we hear that a lot in history. So they really just should have started educating all the kids like future kings and queens, in my opinion. But no, his older brother, Nicholas, was the heir. Now, I think we've talked about Daddy Alexander II before. He was the czar that finally abolished serfdom. Like, Catherine the Great had tried to abolish serfdom and got nowhere a hundred years or more prior to it finally being abolished. And if you're brand new, serfdom was basically slavery that the rest of Europe had abolished in like the 1500s and we're now in the the mid 1800s. So yeah, finally. Alexander II also did a lot of other stuff that really limited the all-encompassing-ness of the royalty in Russia. Dad also passed legislation that said not only the poor had to enlist their sons in the military, but everyone had to enlist, enlist their sons in the military. And that education shouldn't be a privilege just for the rich. Like, let's make education more accessible to the masses. Because Russia had a huge fucking population and just not a whole lot of them were going to school. So he was also interested in instilling more democracy in Russia. So just, yeah, Alexander II had some really, really progressive ideas for the time. But again, Alexander III, he wasn't interested in any of this. He was young and he wasn't going to be emperor. He was like a manly man. To, to like put it how they would have put it back then, I guess. He is interested in like, he's more interested in physical things than brain things, if that makes sense. Alexander III was massive. He was a giant guy. He's 6'4 and like super strong and just really like just a big, strong Russian bear, basically. There's one story about him getting so frustrated in an argument with a diplomat that he takes a piece of silverware and like twists it up like a pretzel and throws it at the guy. Like, I couldn't, I, I wouldn't do that. And also, he's a little rough around the edges. The Russian nobility at the time was very prim, very proper, very refined. And Prince Alexander was kind of like a bull in a china shop. He was a Russian bear in a <laughs> Fabergé egg shop, I guess. He just didn't really have any interest in philosophy, philosophy or theology or classical music. Though he did, he was into music, but more like folk music, you know, like, non-stuffy in his mind music. It makes me feel like he would have been happier in his youth being the son of a farmer or something as opposed to the son of an emperor. Somewhere his, you know, size and strength would have been more appreciated and not make him feel so out of place. I just really feel like they didn't know what to do with him. He, at face value, seemed a little dim-witted because he didn't want to talk about fucking Voltaire or whatever, you know? He did love the ballet, though. Oh, pretty girls dancing around the stage. Well, go figure. <laughs> but I also think, you know, because he was so into sports and athleticism, he probably viewed ballet as, hey, that takes, you got to be athletic as fuck to do that shit. So, you know, he's probably viewing it as a sport. And again, I'm sure the pretty ladies didn't hurt. Uh, he had a hard time articulating his feelings or thoughts in his young age which when compared to the rest of the men in his family who were all very, you know, eloquent with their words and fancy and Frenchy, it doesn't seem like he had a great relationship with his father either. 
uh, he was really close to his mom and him and Alexander II were kind of distant. His mom had been unwell for years and years, and his dad was running around town with mistresses, plural, mistresses. But one mistress in particular named Catherine, who Catherine Dolgorokova, really bothered young Alex. His dad had several children with Kathy D, and he had not he acknowledged them, and that raised many, many eyebrows. And he Alexander III hated Alexander II for embarrassing his mom like that. Like, dude, keep it on the down low. Like, that's what everybody else does. Do you have to embarrass mom like that? His life completely changed when his older brother Nicholas died in 1865. Quite suddenly, to be honest. The whole family mourned because Nicholas was like the golden child. But now Alex had to go to Emperor School 101, like crash course immediately. However, the teacher of Emperor School 101 Crash Course is a big conservative, and he hated the idea of giving the reins of the government over to these fucking peasants. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? His teacher that was giving him this crash course in how to be czar really hated the concept of trial by a jury of your peers, which was against everything Alexander II was working on. So that seems like an oversight on Alexander II's part, somewhere along the line. I don't know how this dude got the job. I didn't look into it that much. Maybe he was just a really, really well-renowned, I don't know. Oh, and another part of emperor training is we have to get you a suitable wife. And you got to marry a princess, which Big Bear Alex was not into. See, when Alex had been younger, he fell in love with a lady-in-waiting to his mother a young woman named Maria. But Maria wasn't of the nobility. Her family was rich and, I mean, well-connected enough to get their daughter a spot at the Tsarina's court. But her dad wasn't a king or a prince or a duke. And that was a requirement to marry in the royal family. There was this rule at the time that if you entered into what has been called a morganatic marriage, your children couldn't inherit the throne. And so that means marrying somebody not in the nobility. So now that Alexander is the new heir apparent, marrying Maria is right out the fucking window. Like that is, that ain't happened, Captain. Like absolutely not. And big Alex was big mad about this. But like what, he couldn't, he couldn't do anything about it in his brother's will. He was like, I now realize I'm not going to be able to marry the princess I'm engaged to. I want my brother to marry her. So who was this woman? Big brother Nicholas had been engaged to a Danish Danish princess named Princess Dagmar of Denmark. And yeah, like I said, in the will, it was like, hey, baby brother, you got to you got to move in on Dagmar. So if Nicholas actually says that or not, said that or not, we're not entirely sure. But that was that was at least what they told Big Bear Alex. Maybe also they just really needed the alliance with Denmark. I'm not really sure. Despite being really pissed off about the entire situation and probably deep, deep in grief because Alex idolized his big brother Nicholas, he finally agrees, like, I'll at least go meet the Princess Dagmar. And to everyone's relief, the two hit it off instantly. Dagmar loved her big Russian bear man, and he loved her very, very much back in return. So, isn't that nice? It's probably worth noting that Dagmar of Denmark is an absolute smoke show. Like, 
she's got portraits from when she was about like 17 or 18. I am not surprised that Alex fell in love with her and was like, Maria who? Like whenever he met her, because she was very, very pretty and said to be very kind and very funny and just like one of those people that light up a room when she walks in. Dagmar moved to Russia, converted to orthodoxy, assumed the name Maria Fedorovna, and the two were married in 1866. Queen Victoria wrote, Maria seems quite happy and contended with her fat, good-natured husband, who seems far more attentive and kind to her than one would have thought. I think they are very domestic and happy and attached to each other. He makes a very good husband. I, I think that shows that maybe that rough around the edges reputation wasn't just in Russia. Everybody was like kind of prejudged Alex III on his looks. He was also not super outgoing, but Dagmar slash Maria was super outgoing. So that helped his public image in a way too, because he showed up more on her arm and he just like let her do the talking and make him look good by proxy. (laughs) It was about two years before they had their first child, but once the kids started coming, they kept coming. They had six children, four boys, two girls. Sadly, none of the boys lived long lives. One of the boys died in infancy and one died of illness at age 20. Then the other two, Tsar Nicholas and the youngest son, Grand Duke Michael, were both murdered during the Russian Revolution. But both daughters survived the revolution. Uh, just still, those, those statistics aren't great. So back to his relationship with his dad which as many historical scholars have noted, um, kind of sucked balls to BH. Alex's mom died and his dad married Catherine, his longtime mistress, only one month after his wife died. One month, even now. I don't live in a society like highly dictated by strict rules like the Russian nobility had, but if a friend of mine lost a spouse and then married somebody one month later, I'm shit-talking that friend. I'm not gonna lie. Like, it's a bad look. Tsarevich Alexander was once again big mad with his dad. Like, one, it was a morganatic marriage, which was a huge scandal. But then also, like, how do you disrespect the memory of your long-suffering wife like this? Like, what the fuck? I think this is a time to mention that Alexander III of Russia never cheated on his wife. Not once. And you know what? Neither did his son, Nicholas II, never cheated on his wife. I mean, the bar is on the floor, but for the time, this was very noteworthy and kind of like started gossip. And when he had to be away from his wife, he wrote in his journal about how he couldn't function without her around. He just kind of like forgot how to carry on polite conversation. He couldn't sleep without her by his side. He struggled in working situations, social situations. He was shorter with people than he meant to be. Like, he was just like, I am so much better when I'm around her. I'm so much more comfortable when I'm around her. Remember, she was the more outgoing one. And yeah, when they had to be apart, he hated life, honestly. He also, he loved his wife, which is great, but he also loved being a dad. He would run around and play with his kids in the garden. 
he would uh, he could tear a pack of cards in half with his bare hands, and he would do that just to like amuse his children. That was like their favorite party trick. Which okay, uh, and he especially doted on his daughters, but he was always very sweet with his boys too. He wanted all his kids to be self sufficient. So he'd often make them go on camping trips and sleep outside, which, yuck. Ugh. Um, Sorry if you love camping. It is my nightmare. Uh, He also got them all pets, and they had to train and raise their pets on their own. Like, a lot of people did have royal pets, but they would have royal dog walkers, royal dog trainers. Nope. These kids would have to learn to do it themselves. So... These are all very, very endearing things about Alexander III. But remember, this episode is about the duality of the man. So remember all these nice things before we get into the second part of the story. Remember how his dad had freed all the serfs and tried to give people all these rights? Well, the Russian people thanked him by blowing him the fuck up. Yep, he was assassinated in 1881. So now this big Russian bear family man is now Tsar Alexander III. The first thing he did was move his family out to the woods because, whoa, what the fuck? He was so mad at his father for putting himself in a situation where he could be so easily executed by these fucking peasants. And while he moved his family out to the woods to some subpar palace for safety, he was like, he was pissed off at his dad for making him feel insecure about the safety of his family in the first place. He was mad at his dad for giving rights to the people because who the fuck are these people? These people are, they're peasants. I'm the Tsar of Russia and God gave me that. God made these people peasants. God made me king Fuck these fucking peasants. Direct quote, I'm pretty sure. He's like, my dad has already proven that if you give a people an inch, they will take a bomb and throw it into your carriage and kill you. So the very first thing Alex did as emperor was cancel this proclamation his dad had just signed off on, which was a step towards constitutional monarchy. Big Papa Bear Czar Alexander III said immediately no. I've seen what I needed to see. Immediately no. I will not in any way, shape, or form be dictated by the people. End of conversation. Honestly, I think if he could have, he would have reinstated serfdom just to make a point. But he couldn't. So he took away any kind of right the Russian non-noble citizens were enjoying. He got rid of locally elected officials. Next, he looks at the country and he decides, whoa, 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 we've got too much diversity going on up in Russia. He decides that the country needs to be Russified. Like that's what it was called, the Russification. I'm actually not making that silly ass shit up. It's called the Russification and it's as as it sounds. Basically, he was like, Peter the Great was a dumbass and now we are far too influenced by other countries in the West. So he was like, we need to be one language, one religion, one country, one czar. And unfortunately, as is so often the case in these stories, this started a real bummer of a time for the Jewish population in Russia. There were people that could afford to, Jewish families leaving Russia in mass at this point. 
he enacted something called the May Laws, which were meant to regulate the rights of the Jewish population for two years until they could figure out something more permanent. But then I guess they just said fuck it or forgot because the May Laws were in effect for 30 years. So this is the part where you're going to really hate this guy. Like, we've talked about Big Papa Bear loving his wife, being misunderstood, loving his mama. And we talked about him being a little bit of, like, a snob, being like, who are these peasants? But that's run-of-the-mill for nobility. This is where things start to get real ick. So what are the May Laws? Banks couldn't open mortgages to Jewish people, was one of them. So Jewish people couldn't buy home Homes or lands, basically. There were tons of restrictions on where they could live. In the Catherine the Great episodes, we discussed the Pale of Settlement, which was kind of where she put the Jewish people after inheriting some Polish lands, which sucked. It was like, I was like, yes, Catherine, yes, Catherine, until the Pale of Settlement, and I was like, ah, motherfucker. Well, these restrictions on where the Jewish people could live went into the Pale of Settlement as well, where, like, these people have been living for generations and generations. So it's like they're having to up and move, but <laughs> they can't buy a new house anywhere. And they're so restricted on where they can live. And it's just, what are you supposed to do? Good luck finding somewhere new to move and good luck getting a house since you can't get a mortgage, you know? The May laws also made it illegal for businesses to be open on major Christian holidays and Sundays, I think. So this applied to all businesses. But, I mean, it was specifically looking at, like, we're looking at you Jewish people because, you know, Christmas isn't a holiday for them. Let's stay open and make money. Nope. Can't do it. Um, there were even quotas put in place. Like, let's say you're a Jewish family in a neighborhood that you're allowed to live in. Cool. You've found a place to live. Well, the local schools might have a quota. Like, you cannot exceed... of the children in this school being Jewish. So it's like, my kid can't go to school here. We have to find a school that, we have to find a school that hasn't met that 4% quota or whatever yet and hope it's close enough for us to get to every day. Like, ugh, that, that is so unfair. This also applied to like doctors. The country could only have, let's say like 5% of their doctors be Jewish. So you got lucky enough to get admitted into law school despite the quotas, or not law school, <laughs> to into medical school despite the quotas. But after graduation, there's a, the quota of doctors are already met in the country or, you know, something like that. So it's like, well, I just got to wait for some doctors, some other Jewish doctors to die or retire. Like, ugh. In 1891, most of the Jewish population were deported from the city of St. Petersburg. This even caused the American president of the time, President Harrison, to condemn the treatment of the Jewish, like, publicly, like, on an open forum. He was like, Russia's being real not chill. Like, we need to keep an eye on that. And this was before, like, Americans stuck their noses and other other people's business kind of like they do now. So it was, if it had gotten that much publicity, like people were really looking at them being like, oh, come on, dude. So yeah, this is really only touching on some of the laws and long lasting effects of the May laws. Bad news. But also, Alexander III was opening labor camps in Siberia and enacted a secret police 
he'd like spy on his political opponents and then have them kidnapped and sent to these Siberian labor camps. So freedom of speech was a super not a thing. Super not a thing. It wasn't just politicians and opponents to his policies. He would do this to journalists. He would do this to college professors that he thought were like too outrageous, too liberal or something. Yeah, it was incredibly scary time to be someone that had different views than him. Alexander's policy was orthodoxy, autocracy, nationality. Basically, it's make Russia great again the Russification. So human rights were not at all on the top of Alexander's priority list. Though, you know, if you weren't Jewish or a journalist or a politician, there were some silver linings to a world under Alex III, I guess. Since Alex was only concerned with Russia, he wasn't getting into, he wasn't making a whole lot of allies and so therefore not getting pulled into a lot of wars, which is a mistake that his son made, Nicholas II. Russian-Japanese War and World War I, like, so despite all this shitty stuff that he did, he's sometimes referred to as the peacemaker because Russia wasn't in a war for 13 years. He sends a lot of people to Siberian labor camps, drives thousands of people from their homes and professions and schools, but he gets to be called the peacemaker. Okay. So we're getting... You're, I think you're getting, like, why I'm so conflicted about this guy now. The first half of this, you're painting this, like, sweet, misunderstood, bare man. But then he he loves his wife. He hates free speech. A tentative dad. Fuck the minorities. You know, like, it, it, ugh. Another sweet story, you know, Fabergé eggs. Alexander wanted to do something really special for his wife and mother on Easter in 1884. So from that year on, for the rest of his life, he had these special jeweled Easter eggs made for both his wife and his mother, the famous Fabergé eggs, which are now very rare and worth a lot of money. There's one in the Met. I've never been to the Met. We mentioned the Met last time because Portrait of Margaret of Austria is in the Met. But one of the Fabergé eggs that are in the Met was made for Dagmar slash Marie. And it's got this accessory. The game with the egg has these paintings of all these Danish palaces on it. And it's so pretty. I really want a Fabergé egg. Hey, if anybody's listening and you're just real big fans of the show and you can get your hands on a Fabergé egg, uh, I can send you our P.O. box, please. And thank you. The Fabergé eggs even bring us to like a duality in his personality because he had gone like really out of his way to make the royal family less expensive. Like you couldn't necessarily get a dowry for your daughter if you weren't like in the immediate family where it used to be a lot more, they used to be a lot more lenient. So he was really, really doing things to cut the budget on the royal family. But then each year he's getting two of these Fabergé eggs which cost more than most people in Russia's houses. You know, then this next part kind of makes him sound like a superhero, to be honest. Alexander and his whole family were on a train when it derailed and the the cart that they were in went sliding down a hill, which sounds horrifying. When they stopped sliding down the hill, He realizes, he's like, hey, is everybody okay? All his kids are okay. Oh, shit. But the roof is about to, like, cave in. The roof of this uh, train cart is about to cave in. So, like, like a superhero, he stands up and physically holds up the roof 
of the train cart and told his entire family could crawl out to safety. To me, I was like, that sounds made up. But no, there's like eyewitnesses that legit happened. Sounds like a superhero, right? But unlike a superhero, this actually fucked up his internal organs. And soon after this incident, his health took a nosedive. And over the next five years, he was slowly dying from a liver disease caused when during this train accident. So now, big, strong, powerful king was so, so weak. And in 1894, his doctor was like, you need sun. You need to get the fuck out of Russia. If you care about your health, you need to go somewhere where it's sunny. So they were heading out to Greece because they had family in Greece. Like the royal family of Greece was, I don't know who, the royal family in Greece was probably related to both of them because I'm sure these two are like second or third cousins or something. Either way, on the way to Greece, he had to come to a halt he, he couldn't go any further. It, he was dying. And they got as far as Crimea when it became obvious that he could not go any further. So Alexander III definitely felt he was leaving things unfinished. Uh, namely, he was suddenly very aware that Nicholas was going to be the next czar and he was not prepared for that. Uh, I, I just don't understand. I just don't understand. He was right. But once again... It, you know, it's very human to want to love your son and want to let him do the things that he enjoys in the way that, like, makes sense for him as a person. He never wanted to force his son into a lonely, harsh upbringing. He wanted to let him be himself. So this is another place where I'm conflicted. Because on one hand, I'm like, love that. Love that father-son dynamic. But also, Nicholas is going to be in charge of a massive fucking country. So maybe you needed to find a balance in there somewhere because you were responsible for raising a good czar. And I'm not completely certain that Nicholas can, like, name most of the places on the Russian map. I am not completely certain, like, he knows what the normal people live like. Like, yeah. Speaking of which, Nicholas's fiance, Alex, was on her way to Crimea because up until this point, Alex, uh, Alex, the czar, Alexander III, hadn't officially given Nicholas his blessing to marry the woman that he loved. So Alexander, inches from death, insists on welcoming his future daughter-in-law in full royal regala. And he insisted on giving her a welcome befitting a future empress. And this was, everyone was like, you don't have to do that. And he was like, fuck you, I'm doing it. And I was like, okay. Um, And that was the last official duty he did. And he died 10 days later in the arms of his loving wife. He was only 49. So his son is now czar and woefully unprepared Likely everyone thought Tsar Daddy would have had more time to show him the ropes, but Nicholas wasn't a child. There was some time. However, he did instill in his son the idea of being a total, all-ruling Tsar who did not need support of his people. And look how that turned out. <sighs> so, that is the story of Alexander III. I, I wonder if y'all can see why I was conflicted, though in the end, the human 
the human rights violations um, take away from all the nice things. It's like, I love that those, that that group of people, that that very tiny group of people got to have a loving father and son and husband, but it doesn't outweigh the thousands and thousands of people whose lives were ruined. So yeah, fuck anti-Semitism is what I'm getting at. But yeah, so I hope y'all liked that story and I will catch you next time. Cheers, bitches. Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.